Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that brings you wherever the Texans might be going. And this week, they're at the Combine in Indianapolis. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. We had General Manager Nick Casario on the program last night. And tonight, it's head coach Lovey Smith to kick things off. Later on, former NFL coach Dave McGinnis. He was head coach of the Cardinals. He's coached a lot of places. He's a Texan, TCU alum. We're going to have him on. It's going to be very interesting stuff. And later on, John Schmelk of Giants.com. They're on the Texan schedule. Texans going to the Meadowlands this year. Let's talk to him about what they're going through from a Texans lens or through it from that perspective. But right now, the head coach of your Texans, Lovey Smith, as we catch up with him. And first item on the agenda is what's on the agenda? Well, uh, it kind of starts the process, you know, kind of the official kickoff to uh, really uh, looking to change a roster and see what the roster would look like for the for the upcoming year. First time we get a chance to meet, you know, college prospects, see them work out, get medical information on them. It's a lot of information and a lot of time we'll be spending together in upcoming weeks, but this starts the process. Coach, how much of a stress is off your shoulders once you get your coaching staff in place? Now that you have it in place, how does that feel? I've made a statement. It's the it's one of the hardest things you have to do as a as a head football coach is first off putting staff together and then keeping your football staff together. So for us to be able to get that done as soon as we were able to, of course, we had a head start. Um, to be, first, to be able to get the coordinators in place, you yep. know, Pep Hamilton, of course, Frank Ross, and some of our, you know, our coaches that will be at you know, in prominent positions. Mm-hmm. So to be able to get together, and then it's just not them. It's all of the staff. It just kind of fell into place. And uh, really love, I know every head football coach is going to talk about how he loves his staff. <laughs> right. Um, and I do. Mm-hmm. I just like the group we were able to put together. Seemed like we almost were speaking a, a you know, a, a similar language early in the process. Well, it's interesting because every team wants to be good in the trenches, and the guys you have coaching those position groups, Jacques Cesaire, George Warhop, this has been really interesting for us to meet those guys because we felt like running through a brick wall after we <laughs> had our media <laughs> sessions with them. Well, they – uh, first off, George Warhop. You know, George was my offensive line coach in Tampa, so I had, had an opportunity to interview him before, get to know him, see him, not just wonder what he's like, see him in every situation. So that was a get right away for him. His experience that he's going to bring to the offensive line room is pretty special. And the same thing with Jock. I didn't know him, but I knew his background, his family, where he'd been from. Uh, you know, he was assistant defensive line coach for the Buffalo Bills. Eric Washington, the defensive line coach there, was on my staff in Chicago. Mm. Eric worked for Rod Marinelli, one of my best friends in life, and, of course, a defensive line guru. It just all made sense. And when I talked with Josh, with Jock right away, you know, you kind of know, know early on that, yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> this, this is a good fit. And he's hit the pavement running. And I'm going to say that for our, our entire staff. We didn't bring all of our staff up here. And that decision, you know, uh, you can get an awful lot here, but when you're a new staff, there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, the guy, those guys are back there working their butts off. Coach, when you put that staff together, obviously you talked about guys George did coach for you previously. You didn't know Jock. What was the main thing you were looking for from a I, group of assistants to join you? Well, stern teachers, guys that have an expertise, but also know how to communicate that to the, to the players. And 
the systems that we put in place offensively, defensively, and special teams too, where players will won't feel like that it brings out the best in them. We feel like we're a player. We have player-friendly systems with all three phases. But that's what you're looking for a little bit in your staff. You and I did a Zoom call for the season ticket members, and yes. uh, midway through, Nick Casario jumped on as kind of like the halftime show, <laughs> cameo appearance. Uh, and I can tell you two have chemistry already working together. I know you've been in the building a year, mm -hmm. but now that you're the head coach, how's that going and how will that help you here and beyond as you put together the 2022 Texans? Well, first off, it's a must. It's just mm -hmm. you know, I make, a, you know, it's a marriage. You have to be able to get along with wife. Wife has to get along with the husband. You, you kind of join together. And there's kind of honeymoon phase, too. I feel like, you know, Nick and I knew each other, you right. know, b before. And I knew what kind of football guy he was, knew what kind of man he was. So, But from there, of us going to work, now there's so many things we have to talk about on how we're building this franchise back up. And that process started immediately, and it's carrying on. We have meetings going on right now, but we're still meeting about stuff, just getting on the same page with everything. Coach, one of the things that Nick brought up, and, and you spoke to it a little bit, but Nick talked a little bit more about it, was talking with you during the season about defensive football. And you hear 3-4 versus 4-3. You and I have talked yeah. about that before. But you guys come from different schools. I was intrigued by the conversations that you guys had and how you shared together and came to, I don't say common ground, because maybe you never come to a common ground, but maybe it's, hey, I just look at it this way, we look at it this way. But how did those conversations help when the conversation came around of you being the head coach? How do you think those conversations, talking just defensive football, helped getting you to the spot where you are today, the head coach alongside General Manager Nick Casario? Well, I think, first off, we did have to come to a, a common ground on how we do things. And I think if you just educate people on why – Everything that we do, and just talking, you know, talking defensively, yeah. there's a reason why, you know, in my years of coaching that I've come to the conclusion that this is what we want to do. This is our, you know, this is why we're going to base out of a four-man front. This is why we're going to play these coverages, these blitzes. It's been tried and tested throughout. And I like when people ask why. I like one of the, the, the main things I, I want a player to ask is, hey, coach, why do we do it this way? Yeah. What's mm -hmm. the reason behind this? And you give them the origin behind with the reason why we do it. And same thing with Nick. There's a lot of ways. There are a lot of three, four teams that really believe in what they do. Right. But I believe in this. And there's a group in our family that believes this is the way to, to play winning football. And that has just been magnified e even more uh, through my time in the league. And I was out of the league for a while. And I came back and I believe it even more on how we do things. We did some good things defensively, some good things defensively this past year. But on what we and who we can become, that's what's most exciting right now of this system and us adding a few more guys to it and coaching it up better. It's interesting because offensive football, some of the numbers have really evolved. You look at completion percentage and how that's gone up. It's like inflation, Coach. But – the way you do business defensively, you have the belief that it stops that or slows it down enough. Yes. There's going to be, you know, completions per se. You know, you can look at a completion percentage and two-yard <laughs> two yard pass. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't tell you an awful lot. So the stats that we put the most emphasis on defensively, I'm talking about, yeah, yard uh, rushing, yards per carry. Mm -hmm. Most of that is just based on whether you give a big plays or not. Mm -hmm. You can't give a big plays. We gave up too many at times this past year. 
third down conversions. That's important. Yeah. Taking the ball away. You know how much we talk about takeaways. Yep. Mm -hmm. The reason why it's just not, I mean, that leads to points. Right. And so these are the things that you have to put an emphasis on. This is what our defense is all about. And, and for the guys to know where you're supposed to be strong by play. I'm talking about what area of the field. You know, making a team dump the ball off, that's a good thing. You know why? Mm -hmm. First off, you know, it's not pushing the ball at the field. But now we get a chance to hit them, to show a physical part of the game, and also take the ball away. So these are the things we've been doing for a long period of time. We really believe in. Every coach on our staff believes in how there's a lot of ways of doing it. But you have to have a belief that this is the way that leads to winning football. You schooled me last year. I don't call it turnover anymore. <laughs> it's not a turnover anymore. It's always a takeaway. So whenever I hear turnover, I'm like, no, no, no. It's a takeaway. And, Coach, I know that your lessons, I mean, we saw it for a year. I'm down at the Senior Bowl on the very first day of practice. Kirby Joseph from Illinois, a pick and a fumble recovery. And I was like, Lovey Smith impact right there. He's here. I the One of the linebackers is here from Illinois. Jake Hans. The, yeah, Jake Hansen. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are some of these guys that you recruited. Does that give you, I don't want to say it gives you a leg up or an advantage, yeah, but it, just the fact that you know some of the guys yeah. in some capacity that maybe you bring into the interview room, like, hey, hey, Joe, how you doing, man? Remember when I was recruiting you? Does that help you in any way here? It definitely helps. And every night we've had interviews, there's someone that I've recruited that I know personally. That helps mm. an awful lot. Yeah, it helps when you know guys like some of the Illinois guys you talk about yep. that are here. Uh, I know who they are. I've seen them three years or whatever. I've yep. been in their home, so I know everything I need to know about them. But also my time in college of just you know playing Big Ten football. Yeah. A lot of Big Ten athletes here right now that I competed against, so I feel like I have an upper hand knowing those guys too. Yep. All of that helps. You mentioned a lot of your staff isn't here. Coach, how long have you been coming here? You were on a staff in the 90s, so were you at the Combine in the 90s, and what were you doing? And could you discuss the evolution of this? Because it's fascinating. I was a secondary coach at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. We had finished our season. I get a call from, uh, you know, Tony Dunn. They say, Tony Dungeon is new head fo football coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and defense coordinator. Monty Kiffin called me to have a linebacker job open. And he say, can you meet me at the combine, 1896? Can you meet me at the combine? And I want to talk football with you. I got in my car, drove down here. Then it was RCA Dome. Mm -hmm. Monty Kiffin had a room, had a little side room. I walked right in, didn't see any come by. We went in a little side room like this. Three hours later, we finished. He said, hey, good job. I'll get back with you later. I drove home. Uh, late on that night, they called me and said, hey, I want you to come to Tampa. So that was my first uh, <laughs> dealings with a combine mm -hmm. that really kind of, and has it changed a lot? No, we're getting good information back then. Yeah. We're getting good information right now, and, um, and it's kind of must. Is the biggest thing us, this media, all of us, digital teams, and all these cameras, is that the biggest part of it that's just exploded over the years? Yeah, that's probably the biggest part that's changed, but everything has changed. I mean, now we hold all of the, uh, uh, the night meetings. We used to be holding them at, at the old Holiday Inn, I think. Yeah. Now they're all, of course, have been a suite up, up top. But everything has gotten better. Back when I first started, I mean, I didn't have an iPhone then. Yeah. So yeah. every te technology is so much better, and we can get so much valuable information that helps us make great decisions. Having recruited some of the guys who are here, it, what's interesting to me is you recruited back in the day at Ohio State 
an NFL head coach for so long, assistant coach before that, back in college, now here. How have athletes changed? Can you discuss that a little bit? Well, they've changed a little bit. When I was, uh, I told you that year I came down, my top six defensive backs at Ohio State, that was back, I guess it was the 95 season, top six uh, got drafted in the second round of hire. Sean Springs yep. was the third pick, I think, in the draft. Maybe the highest cornerback ever drafted in the draft. Uh, great athletes back then. It's great athletes now. You know, they're running a little faster, but there were great athletes back then too. It's just now you just look at things that have changed on how athletes train. Just everything is better. So, of course, the athlete's going to be a little bit better too. Coach, when you go through this process and you talk about building the team, You've mentioned it a few times, so I want to hit on it a little bit more, and that's physical toughness. You talked about we'd like to see a guy, we like to see a quarterback check it down because we're going to come up and we're going to introduce ourselves mm -hmm. to him and let that guy know we're going to be a physical football team. Is that one of the tenets you want to see no matter who you draft or who you bring into the organization from this process, guys that show that mental and physical toughness? Is that going to be up at the top of the list of things you're looking for? Absolutely. I was at a place once where our quarterback, instead of running out of bounds, he, he ran back inside and got hurt. We don't want our quarterback showing that. We, we sure. want Davis, if he's running, to get down or get out of bounds. Right. Everybody else, though, uh, one way to tell if the football team is tough or not, will your wide, do your wide receivers like to block? Mm. Do they like to block? Yep. Other way, do your cornerbacks like to tackle? So physical football, absolutely. It's a must. We're going to. We're going to have run periods where it's just blocking and tackling. Yep. You, uh, our personality, when people leave NRG Stadium, yes, we want them to talk about how physical a brand of football that we play. Opponents come in, man, hey, we had, God, we had the Texans this week. We know, it's going to, we know it's going to be a physical game. That's absolutely the mindset we would like to have. Coach, something very important was brought up in your press conference today, oh, yeah. and that's R&B music. And uh, <laughs> I was wondering, artists, are we talking Al Green here? or And would you classify the spinners and stylistics as R&B or soul? How would you categorize those groups? Well, uh, both. I would say they're soul, R&B, spinners, one of my all-time mm. great. I listen to quite a bit of uh, my uh, alarm in the morning. A change is going <laughs> to is a change is going to come by Otis Redding is my alarm that I wake up with each day. Ooh. Yes. So any old school, uh, and I'm talking about Bootsy's Rubber Band, Parliament, that group. Oh, wow. But uh, wow. Aretha Franklin, of course, Gladys Knight and the Pips, anyone in that era, average white band. Uh, there's so many, but that group, that's what I listen to. The OJs. Nothing, the OJs. Eric Winnipeg, all of those, we mm -hmm. could go on and on and on. That's me. So when somebody says Lionel Richie to you, you're thinking Commodores. Yeah, I'm thinking not Commodores. <laughs> There's Commodores, and, you know, I can understand leaving the Commodores. We yeah. all have to make a move. But yeah. uh, mm -hmm. that's why you talk about the OJs. The OJs never parted. They never broke up. Oh. And when you have a group like that, think of how many groups stayed together their entire time. The three of them the entire time is pretty special. Right, because the Temptations have had – I don't know, 45 Lead people in the <laughs> uh, David Ruff and different one. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, all of those, but the OJ stayed together the entire time. One wow. of my favorites. Coach, Great. what's your pregame music? Will you go to one of those? Is that what you – Because I see you before the game, and, I mean, 
you are in you're in a yeah. different zone like you're yeah. in a zen zone whatever what gets you going before a game yeah and there's some you know religious podcasts that i listen to sure. also uh but as far as music is concerned yeah it's that and i have a wide variety of music and and even TikTok nowadays uh I know the spirit throws y'all, but I'm a TikTok guy too. <laughs> because what you can get, what you can get is you can get old, you can get old uh, concerts, clips. Right, right. There's nothing like it. It's one thing listening to the old music, but yeah. seeing them perform yeah. it, it's pretty special. Yeah, and some of the footage you, you've never seen before. Never. Where did you get that, this? That's what. Where did you get that? That's exactly what I'm going through. A lot of my spare time. This one. What's the documentary? Yes, Summer of Soul. You seen it? I've seen the Summer of Soul. Yeah. You uh, gotta see it, Mark. The, I know uh, I've seen it. It's Sly and the Family Stone. That that performance that they did at yeah. the Summer of Soul, as you can see now, I mean, you get me in music. Now we can talk the rest of the right. night. Right, and they were yeah. at Woodstock too. They're, they're in the Wood movie. <laughs> they're they're at Woodstock too. I also have the whole document. What three hours of Woodstock? I can't tell you how many times I've seen Woodstock. Mm. That that documentary also. Yeah, Richie Havens, excellent. Absolutely, Coach. Thanks a lot for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me on, man. There's Texans head coach Lovey Smith. Coming up, Dave McGinnis. He does color commentary for Titans Radio, and he has a lot to say about what's going on here with the Titans, with the AFC South, and then some. It's next on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio coming your way from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Now, Dave McGinnis was a head coach in the NFL and he does color commentary for Titans Radio. And let's start here with a two-pronged question. Does the outside world overreact when a team loses its first playoff game after clinching the number one seed, particularly in this case the Tennessee Titans situation? And what about their situation moving forward? What do they need to do? The first answer yeah. is yes to the overreactions mm -hmm. because the National Football League is now such a marketing monster. And here's the other thing about the National Football League that's different from all the other professional sports, guys. When you get in the playoffs, we've got no three out of five. We've got no four out of seven. You know, we don't – and everything that's done in the National Football League is one at a time, and it's immediate. Hey, it's not only the playoffs. Let's back up a little, Mark. Every week, if you lose, we're done. <laughs> it's true. If you win, we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, and that's the outside. Yeah, but, yeah. but that's why I say when – and when you ask me about – uh, Vrabel or about Ditka, those guys understand that. See, part of that, and it's even expanded more now with the way the world is, with everything that goes on with the social media and all this stuff, everything is immediate, and everybody becomes an expert, and, and everybody has an opinion that is that is out there that's, that, that's public, so you have to understand the grind that the National Football League is. You know, I... I worked for Jeff Fisher. He understood it, too. He was, you know, he understood that. And so your question, yeah, when you lose in the playoffs, it's like it's over. Mm -hmm. Everything that, you know, everybody that's in that building when you lose needs to be gone. You know, <laughs> it, it needs to be gone. They need, you need to change everything. Well, that's not what it is. First of all, it's really hard to get there. Mm -hmm. And second of all, it's a one-game you know, it's, it's one shot. And so, like with the Titans, I mean, you, you all of a sudden – and. I don't want to talk all Titans on here, and we're not, right. which I like. But the thing about it is, when you go through a season with COVID and with going through 91 different yeah. players on a roster, mm. that to me, I've coached. I coached for 31 years in this league. I understand how hard it is to put together an active roster every week. When you, but to go through 91 different players, that's why Mike, that's why Mike Vrabel was coach of the year. 
and his staff and the, and the whole organization, John Robinson, all of them. It was a marvelous job of what they did to put all that to, you know, to be able to do that. But then what happens is, is your expectations start to rise, which is fine. That's what you want. Then they get the number one seed. And then all of a sudden you've got a chance to get your people back. So everybody's going, well, this is a, this is a walk, you know, right. This is, this is a walk into what we're getting ready to do. And then, you know, you turn the ball over and you lose and all of a sudden everybody. So do you overreact? Yes. Is there disappointment? Absolutely. And should there be disappointment? Absolutely. There should be, but it's it, what's going on. What's going on in Tennessee is really solid and really good from the top down. Amy Adams trunks and she's taken over guys. I mean, you would, I mean, you guys work in the national football league. You would love her as an owner. And John Robinson and Mike Vrabel are, are a perfect fit. That's why they both got extended together, and they'll keep rolling. Coach, you know this as well as anybody. It is so hard. We were just talking about Tom Brady. He's played in 10 of 46 Super Bowls since he's been alive. Mark and I are saying, man, we'd like to go to, we'd like to, go to one. We'd just like to get there to one. The Titans did get there back in 99. They've gotten close. They got close in 19. What puts them over the hump, in your opinion? What gets them to the Super Bowl? What gets them to a Super Bowl championship, in your opinion? Well, I think what they're going to have to do is 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 be able to. to they they had the team to do it this year because if you'd asked me this last year, right, I would have said you know they're going to have to get better on defense. Well, they did that. Yeah. All right. You ask me this year what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to they're going to have to get more consistent offensively because there were stretches offensively where they were really dangerous, all right? Derrick Henry goes down. They're still able to keep a run game generated and yep. a run game going. And, and let's just be honest. You know, what happened, in the, what happened in the playoffs was, you know, you threw three interceptions. The turnovers, you know, that's it. So I, I would say when they are breaking down their film, they, they say, you know, we've got to protect the ball better on offense, and we've got to continue to be able to build upon this capability that we generated this year of – being able to rush with four people. Yes. That's the key now in, in, in the National Football League. If you can generate a rush, and I'm not talking about a sack every time you but you gotta be able to get people off the spot and be able to and be able to alter routes, be able to alter time with four people, because the way the game has spread horizontally, you have got to be able if you have seven in coverage, you have a chance. If you have seven in coverage against five, I'm not very smart, but they had math in Snyder, Texas. <laughs> if you've got seven against five eligible, you know, and I've been a defensive coordinator for a long time in this league, then you've got a chance to do something with your coverage. But if you are forced to bring more people to legitimately get somebody off a spot, then the one-on-ones, the one-on-one capabilities in this league go exponentially to the offensive side of the ball now because of the way the rules are. When I first started coaching defense in this league, it was different. You could do some things to deter in inside routes. Yeah. You could do some things to deter quarterbacks from holding on to it a long time. Yeah. You know, now it's different. It's different. And so I would say just more consistency offensively as far as protecting the football yeah. would be the number one biggest thing. And then, of course, guys, when I first got into the league, there was no free agency, no salary cap. As you got the salary cap now is a, is a great leveling factor. You know, in the National Football League, and and the salary cap and the inverse draft order. You know, if you're do, making the right choices, is a huge leveling factor. If you win, which one of the Titans had six winning seasons in a row now, yeah. you're going to be drafting at that. So your evaluation ability becomes very, very important too. 
Dave McGinnis joining us, Tennessee Titans radio, color commentator, former NFL coach. One more for you. No, we can do all, all, right. all, all that we want. Indiana State. i got to go back to that. I'm going to hit the brakes <laughs> on Larry Bird right there because watching him play oh, no. when you were coaching on campus, what was that like? Stop it. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, when we went, Bob King was the athletic director that hired a guy named Dick Jameson to be the head coach. It was the offensive coordinator at Missouri. And that's why I decided to go. And Bob King, a legendary basketball coach, you know, collegiately, had just gotten Larry Bird. Larry Bird originally went to IU, you know, and then yep. transfers to Indiana State. And so what Bob King wanted to do was he knew the basketball program was going to ascend. He wanted to, to get the football program to ascend, you know, along with it. And so, you know, if things worked out, he knew he was going to have Final Four money. He was going to have, you know. Right. So, anyway, we go in there, and Bird is there. And let me just say this. When I was at Indiana State coaching football, Larry Bird was there in basketball. Kurt, you know, Kurt Thomas was there in, on the on the Olympic team, of the gymnast, you know, the wow. gymnastic team. Yeah. Bruce Bumgartner, you know, the world uh, Greco yeah, wrestling champion, you know, in the, was there on the rest was there on the wrestling team, you know. And so it was it was a really unique time to be there. But to to be able to watch Larry Bird, I became very good friends with the guy that was a color commentator that would do some color sometimes on the basketball game, had his own plane, would fly. Well, you know, he was very close to Larry Bird. So I got to know, you know, got to know the whole group mm -hmm. because you're there, you know, you're there in Terre Haute, Indiana. Guys, it was really kind of a surreal experience because when you first would watch him play with the guys, you would, you would go, there's something different about this guy. And he's not skying above the rim. He's not mm -hmm. doing – but just the just I mean it was nearly damn near like a ballet the things he would do the the the, the presence and then if you ever would talk to him you know which Jerry Manley's the guy's name would would do a lot he could he photographic memory of what the floor looked like at times just mm -hmm. times you know for I mean and then some of the things that that he would be able to do and then as the momentum started to roll. It was it was it was a neat experience to be a part of because you were just you knew you were watching something special and 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 you knew that, you know, of course, you know, the finals with he and magic, you know, up, up there. At, uh, it, I mean, when you watch all of that stuff and you look back on it, I think you, I don't appreciate it enough. Because at the time, I'm bringing yeah. kids in to watch games. I'm trying to work, you know, is he going to sign here? You're doing or, your job. Or am I going to lose him to, am I going to lose him somewhere? But when you look back on it, you go, I was really being, a, I was able to witness something special. He was a, he was a true magician with the game of basketball. Johnny, who was I thinking of when Coach said Larry Bird had a photographic memory of the floor? I know, because I'm going to ask this question. Okay. Coach, you've been around some great, great, great players. Eight Hall of Famers I've been involved with. Those players, we had a coach in Houston by the name of Bill O'Brien. We used to ask him about Tom Brady. And we used to ask him what was the greatest thing about Brady. He never said arm. He never said um, even, like, on-field intelligence, any of that leadership. He said his recall. Oh. The greatest ones that you have been around, have you found that to be the case, like a Singletary or an Otis Wilson or whoever, that they could recall something that happened? Hey, Coach, we in week four when we played this team back in 1983, they were in this particular set, and I think we should check. Did you feel that way when you coached guys of that caliber that their recall Johnny, made, helped make them great? John, 100%. Those guys are different. Mm -hmm. They are different. They're, they're, they're different, and when you've been around them long enough, you understand. As I said, I've been involved with eight of them now. Uh, the two guys that stick out that I was very closely involved with, Mike Singletary yep. was like that. 
I mean, he could tell you, and he 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 could tell you, visiting, talking with Mike, you know, interchanges with Mike Singletary during a game. His recall, we'll go, Coach, I saw this on their Pittsburgh film, you know, week oh, three. Wow. Coach, I saw, you know, just and yeah. that kind of thing. And the other guy that, that was that was fascinating to, to get inside of him and, and, and that uh, was Aeneas Williams. Oh, yeah. You know, Aeneas Williams was, was a, one of the most pure cover corners I've ever been around in my life. And, and, you know, of course, he's in the Hall of Fame now. But when – would get ready to play, and I was a defensive coordinator when I first went to Arizona, and, and Niki was there. And after, you know, I, it was – we won the first playoff game in 51 years the Cardinals had won as an organization when we beat Dallas, yep. in Dallas. And Aeneas Williams, when you would game plan, and I, we were going against a, a, a legitimate receiver – and it, it may have it may have spoiled me a lot as far as game planning because I would tell Aeneas every Monday we, we'd communicate even before the team I said Aeneas you need to wear the hat against Michael Irvin can you do that he said I got it mm. now I got ten other guys yeah you know to work, but he could recall he said Coach look when he's done when you know two weeks ago they ran this you know his split was this this is what he's going to run so here's all of that stuff the great ones have it yeah. It was the same way. It was a, it was the same way with Dan Hampton as a defensive tackle. He and Steve McMichael were brilliant in that center guard triangle. Yeah, brilliant. You know as to as to how they could figure it out. One more for you: the combine, the evolution of this event. Your thoughts? Completely different. Mm-hmm. First year I was every. I've, I've been to every one of them that's been here. 1987 was the first year. They're they're all staying. I've been to every one. 1987. They're all staying over there where they still stay now. But it was the Wild West. Yeah. No, no, there was, there, was, there was no schedules, no anything. I mean, you know, I was a very young coach, and so my job was to go grab guys in their room, bring them down to our suite, pull them, you know, pull them in our suite in the back door so nobody could, else could get them, keep them as long as you want, send them back out the back door. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I can still remember. I mean, everybody was over there in that lobby. And, and of course, you know, I was had just come out of recruiting, so I knew, you know. Yeah how to operate, how to do stuff. And, and plus I knew the guys, you know, because yeah. I'd just come out of, you know, collegiate football and who was who, was oh, who yeah. in the zoo. So, you know, I, but you go up in the room, knock on the door and get headed. And you know what? And it, they're rooming with one another. Both of you come. You know, both of you. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was that, guys. I'm, I'm serious. And I can, I can still vividly see, you know, you know, in that lobby, everybody in the lobby and, and coming down the stairs, you know, Deion Sanders, you know, Deion was coming down there at the time, had the long jerry curl and had the yeah. chains and everything, and walking right beside him, all, you know, just straight up, dressed up, just Tom Landry. And I'm going, this is the NFL. <laughs> Here we are. You know, I mean, and it was it was a different world. And so I've seen it change exponentially. I was, a, you know, I was coaching. Then I was a head coach when they when they when they started, you know, giving the, the 15 minutes and yeah. I've seen it evolve. I've worked the floor as a linebacker coach, you know, myself, Jim Haslett, John Fox. Yep. Uh, uh, I mean, all of those guys. I worked the floor as a linebacker coach for six or seven of these in a row. You know, so I've seen it from all different angles. And it's a, and the, the other thing was. The first one I came to, and for years, 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 nobody was here except scouts and coaches. Yeah. Nobody. Right. And maybe press, maybe. Maybe John McClain. John McClain. John, John McClain, Rick Goslin. Yep. You know, you know uh, Clark Judge. Yeah. You know, but not. 
not like this. And I, and then now now you've got you've got fans here, and it's it's televised, and it's I've seen it evolve because I've been to every one of them. I've not missed one. And so has it changed? I can't tell you how much it's changed, but I go back to the Wild West days uh-huh. where uh, you look back on it and you go, really? <laughs> <laughs> what about moving it? Well, it's going to happen, mm. you know, because, the, 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 you know, the, the National Football League, and rightfully so, is a marketing giant, mm. and it, 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 this, this sells, and it should. I mean, it's a – and it, you know, what are the, the, the three? Here, the star, and SoFi, right? Yep. Yeah. So it'll move. And, and, and look, when it moves – when it moves, they'll run it extremely well. Yep. The only thing you won't have, everybody that's been coming, I don't know how many we've got in this building that have been to all of them, as I have, but you get a familiarity here. Yeah. I mean, I can put it on autopilot yeah. when I come into this place every year at this time of year because I know exactly where everything is. I know exactly what's happening. I know exa- That's going to change for all of us that have been doing it this long in, you know, here, this place. Those that are just starting, that'll be their, that'll be their norm. That'll be how they were. You know, I when I drove down from Chicago for my first one, I had no idea what it was going to be like. Uh, so when I go to the next one that's someplace else, I'll Learn be with everybody. Starting <laughs> with everybody else is what you do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Guys, it's my pleasure. It was right. great. Okay. It was great. There's Dave McGinnis, former NFL coach and color commentator on the Titans Radio Network. Coming up from Giants.com, John Schmelk. He hosts a show every day in New York City. He hosts a Knicks podcast. He's very active in that part of the country. Texans play at the Giants this year. Let's get you ready for that one and the whole scene in the Big Apple next here from Indy on Texans Radio. Fun night on Texans Radio. We already had Lovey Smith and Coach Dave McGinnis, Tennessee Titans color commentator, and the two of them met up after our interview with Lovey Smith. Now, let's go to the Big Apple. John Schmelk, Giants.com, hosts a show every day for them. It's big, hosts a Knicks podcast. Giants going through some changes. They're on the Texans schedule, relevant to the Houston situation. What about the Giants situation? Now, it's an overused word, so I hate to use it, but I do think that the culture, this is me making air quotes, culture that Joe Shane and Brian Dable have brought over from the Bills, Joe Shane being the new GM, Brian Dable, new head coach, it's different. Um, It's very much, and I heard this about how, you know, Brandon Bean worked in Buffalo. It's a very family type of atmosphere. Yep. Everyone's part of the same team. And you just get that sense that, you know, if Joe Shane passes in the hallway, he'll chat you up for five minutes. Brian Dable will pull you aside. Oh, how's your family? How's everything going? Wow. And this is just in like mm-hmm. a month. Yeah. It's been a really good change. Of course, none of that matters unless you win football <laughs> games, as yeah. you guys well know. So we'll see what the results are. And uh, the Giants are already doing some work today to try to get under the salary cap. They released Devontae Booker and Kyle Rudolph to save some money. Uh, Joe Shane has said he wants to shave $40 million off the cap before free agency comes. So that's a lot of work, uh, and that's what I think they're trying to figure out right now. John, the $64 million question, you know it. I'm going to ask it. I'm going to try and ask it in a way that's a little different as opposed to, well, what do you think about Daniel Jones? Ask it this <laughs> way. That's the way I was going to ask it, but go ahead. Can it work? And if it can, how? Yeah, I think it can. I actually think if you put the right pieces around Daniel Jones, he can be a winning quarterback in this league. Now, is he going to be a quarterback that's going to improve to the point where he's in the category with a, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? No. Uh, but can he be in a category 
with Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins and like that group of quarterbacks, yeah, I, I think he can if you put the right pieces around him. Now, the question is, and when you have to decide whether or not to pay a quarterback long term, the question you're asking yourself, well, can he elevate into that next group, into Absolutely. the Staffords, the Dak Prescotts, right. the Russell Wilt, you know, uh, Kyler Murray's, kind of yep. that group. Yep. So I don't know about that yet. I don't think I've seen enough to convince myself he can be that guy, but. If you look at the last couple of years, the stuff that's been around Daniel has really put him back a little bit, Uh, whether it's the offensive line. He's now had Pat Shermer, Jason Garrett, and Freddie Kitchens as offensive coordinators and play callers over his first three years in the league. To quote John Mara, the owner, uh, he spoke after Joe Shane's press conference. We've done everything possible to screw this kid up. That's from the owner of the team. So they think if they can put enough pieces around him, and last year the receiving core, Sterling Shepard got hurt, Kadarius Toney got hurt, Kenny Galladay got hurt, Saquon Barkley got hurt, Evan Ingram got hurt. They missed the, they missed the over 30 games combined between those five guys. So I think if you do put the right pieces around them, he can be good. The question is how good. They have to make a decision on the fifth-year option on him on May 2nd. That's an over $20 million decision. It's a big one. I think the thought is you let him play out the year. If he turns out to be really good, you can always franchise him and work that way. So we'll see. They're going to be patient with that decision. As I mentioned, they have salary cap issues. So that's kind of where they are. So, yes, it can work, but to the extent of it working, I think is what we're still trying to figure out. John Schmelk of Giants.com joining us on Texans Radio. All right, New York landscape. The Giants are the premier NFL team over the Jets. The Jets aren't listening, so I can say this, obviously. <laughs> They're right next to us over there. Be careful. I, I, I don't, don't want to get shivved in the back. <laughs> those, are, those are good guys over there. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, but where, how, how are things going with the fans? I mean, you have the Yankees, you have the Knicks, you have the Giants, Jets. You have, what is it, nine professional sports teams, yeah, it's a not lot. including MLS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got three hockey teams, two basketball, mm-hmm. two baseball, and then the football teams, obviously. And obviously the Bills are a New York team, but it's not New York City. So you can I don't gotta, include them. No, you shouldn't. Mix. You shouldn't. Major, so, the metropolitan area. Giant fans are upset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really rough. There's been one playoff appearance since they won the Super Bowl in 2011. Mm-hmm. There's been one, two, pardon me, winning season since they won the Super Bowl in 2011. They've made the playoffs once in 2016. It's been bad. Uh, I think if you look at over the last four seasons, the Giants – either have the worst or tied for the worst record in the NFL. So it's been bad. Uh, Fans are impatient, but I do think um, hope is a very valuable currency in New York. Sure. Fans are willing to an extent to accept a level of losing if they see a cogent plan and legitimate future as to what's coming next. So I think how you go about this is just as important as the immediate results because I do think – well, look, there are always some portions of the fan base that have no patience and they're going to be mad no matter what. You can't worry about them because you can't win. Yeah. But I think there's a big enough portion of the fan base where if they see a plan and progress, even if it's a small step back to take a larger step forward in two or three years, I think they are willing to accept that. John, you mentioned five guys. You're talking offensively. You're talking about Galladay. You're talking about Tony, Evan Ingram, yep. Saquon Barkley. Of those guys, now Galladay signs a big contract, so I'm assuming he's there. He has to be, yes. Canarius is on his rookie contract. Second year, yep. Ingram, Barkley. There's been some question about whether those two guys come back. What is, looking into the Giants' crystal ball, what do you think 
this season and where those guys are going to play. Are they going to be in New York or are they going to be somewhere else? Yeah, and, and Sterling Shepard you can put in that category uh, too. Yep. He, he popped his Achilles um, in December, and they're trying to save cap space. So that's somebody that some people think could be a cap casualty. I don't know if they're going to want to do that. He's They've already signed him to a second contract. They like him. He's a great dude. We love Sterling. He's yep. a good football player. So after a guy suffers that injury, do you want to just let him go? That's a that's a big organizational decision. I don't know how they're going to view that. Mm -hmm. uh, Evan Ingram's a free agent. Yep. Um, I think it's fair to say his numbers in production haven't been what you thought it would be, yep. being a first-round tight end. I think a lot of that, much like with Daniel, is a situation they've put him in. But I think given the cap situation, unless they can get him on a bargain deal, I think yep. that would be difficult. Saquon Barkley is kind of the big question, right? That's yeah. the big question that was asked to Joe Shane and to Brian Dable. He's on the last year of his rookie contract. So the question they're going to have to ask themselves is, how do you get the most valuable assets out of the player? Is it him trying to have a bounce-back year? and helping Daniel to figure out your franchise quarterback situation on the field this year? Or is it trading him, which frankly would be at his all-time lowest value coming off two injury-plague seasons, where you're getting, what, a day three pick, a fourth-round yeah, pick? 30 cents on a dollar, maybe. Right. Do you want to do that? Or, But again, what if he plays great and then he's a free agent next year? Yeah. What's this organizational philosophy from Joe Shane about signing a running back to a second contract? You know, some teams just won't do that. Right. Period. I don't know how Joe Shane thinks about that. So then do you think about franchising and trading him? Or do you just let him go and get a compensatory pick? So that's the calculation they're going to have to make. His money's guaranteed. So it's $7, $8 million you can save by moving him. Is that worth not having him on the roster this right. year when you're trying to figure out your quarterback? So that's mm. the calculation. I see both sides of the argument. I think it's a really tough decision, to be honest with you. Yeah. John Schmelk, Giants.com, joining us. Eli Manning. What's the relationship between him and New York now? Oh, they love him. I mean, he has an office okay. in our building. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. it's, it's, yeah. it's like, it's funny. Uh, the Giants brought him back as kind of um, in a business and ambassador type of role. And when he first got there, I'm like walking by where his office is. He's like trying to set up his voicemail. I thought I was in like the bizarre <laughs> world. Like, what's going on here? Um, no, nah, but he, he does uh, the Eli Manning show with us, which is on our YouTube channel. He's had like Kevin Durant on this year, Kevin Hart. It's kind of like wow. a talk show host variety show type yeah. deal. It's kind of yeah. one of those fun things. So, yeah, look, New York, New York loves him, man. I mean, you know. He's one of the few guys that have brought championships to New York recently. You mentioned the New York sports scene. I mean, it's been bad. I mean, the Yankees last won in 20, 2009, and there hasn't been anything since wow. the Giants in 2011. So it's been, it's been a bit since, since the New York team has won. So Eli's always going to have that recognition and that love. John Schmelk from Giants.com, very interesting guy. And you'll hear more of these interviews on our podcasts on the Texans app. Tomorrow night, Mike Keith, Tennessee Titans. Matt Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts. we got a lot of other stuff going on. We'll have the general on as well, and who knows who else shows up. It's all happening here. Thanks for listening. It's Texans Radio. Go Texans.